So what we're going to see here now today is the present practices of these false teachers. Peter exposes them. Peter shows us what they're all about. And now with that in mind, let's take a look here then at 2 Peter chapter, one, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. And Peter writes as follows, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Now again, the ESV reads somewhat close to that. And again, the emphasis in the ESV is this, who will secretly bring in these destructive heresies, even denying the master that brought them. So again, on the one translation, we have privily, kind of an old word. But what that word privily means, it means secretly. And what these false teachers do is that they come into the church of Jesus Christ, in one sense, with the name of Christ on their lips. But then with another sense of intending to move away very quickly or very subtly from their open profession of Jesus Christ. And that's what makes the false teacher so subtle. That's what makes him so successful in his his attempt to deceive. Because he comes with the name of Christ on his lips. But what he does is he does not teach a message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that is in conformity with the overall teaching of scripture. You know, at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, it is, as we've said all the way through, your spiritual development before God, your conformity to the person of Jesus Christ, your growth in piety and holiness, your being made more and more like Christ. That's the emphasis of biblical teaching. If biblical teaching strays from that, then that biblical teaching is in some way a mess. And so again, this is, point, this is Peter's point here. So again, notice what he does here. and Notice what their present practice is. They secretly bring in these destructive heresies. Now what's very interesting is this, is that this is a a pattern that we find repeated in the Word of God concerning the nature of false teachers. As I said before, it's almost amazing to see so much emphasis given to the nature of false teachers and yet the church be so susceptible to them. Notice these passages of Scripture that bring out the same thing. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says this, And that because false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us in the bondage. Notice again what, what Paul says. False brethren brought in unawares. They were able to come in, as it were, undercover. On the surface, everything seemed to be fine. But underneath, there were ulterior motives. And those ulterior motives, we will see, will always kind of revolve around the false teacher himself. You see, the false teacher is coming to you in order that he might benefit from you. We see the same thing in the book of Jude, Jude verse 4. Again, very much like what Peter says here. Jude says this in verse 4, For there were certain men crept in unawares, who before of old were ordained under this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Very similar. Very similar language is being used. And what we're seeing is not only similar language, but a similar method. They come in unawares. They come in under the cover of Christianity. But at the root, something is seriously wrong. And what's wrong is essentially this. Their primary motive is not the exaltation of Jesus Christ. Their primary motive is, the, is to advance their own ends. Why do I say this? Well, listen to the passages of Scripture that we have here. Very much in keeping with what we're seeing here. Acts chapter 20, verse 30. 
And Paul, as he is leaving the Ephesians elders, the Ephesian elders, and he is warning them. And what does he say to them? He says, and from among your own selves, there's the stealth. There's the creeping in. From among your own selves, he says, shall men arise speaking twisted things. Listen, to draw away the disciples after them. These men are seeking a following for themselves. They are not concerned about the exaltation of Jesus Christ. They will trade on the name of Christ. But when it's all said and done, they are seeking to establish a following after themselves. Why? Here's why. As I said before, uh, as we saw uh, uh, two weeks ago in in, uh, verse 3 of 2 Peter. And through covetousness, they shall with feign words make merchandise of you. You see, the idea is that they might benefit from you. There is an ulterior motive, and that ulterior motive is that they might benefit from your giving, from your kindness, from your charity. That's why Paul says again in Romans 16, we've already read it, but I want to read it again. Verses 17 and 18, he says this, and notice how he appeals, how he appeals as a, as a, as a Christian a shepherd, so to speak. In Romans 16, verses 17 and 18, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine that ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good works and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. What's the false teacher all about? It's all about the God of his belly. In other words, he is only concerned with advancing his own station here on this uh, here in this world. It's completely contrary to the purposes of God. It's completely uh, it's, it's 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 completely against the call of Christ. And so, what we see here over and over again is this emphasis that true doctrine becomes the 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 the, uh, the, the means by which we evaluate what these men are saying. What is the end of their preaching? If the end of their preaching is just the advancement of our cause here on this earth, something is seriously wrong. You and I must be about the exaltation of Jesus Christ. You and I must be about the glory of Jesus Christ. You and I must be about doing Christ's work here on this earth, here and now, in spite of what it may cost us. And these men, again, seeking uh, to draw followers after themselves. And that's why I read from 2 Peter, uh, I'm sorry, uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. Verses 12 through 15, because Paul makes it a case to oppose these men. Now again, isn't it something? Here is Peter talking about false teachers. Paul in 2 Corinthians talking about these super apostles. Who were these super apostles? They were these men who, again, because of something of the, the significance of their own personality, the force and the power of their own personality. We've met people like that, haven't we? These guys are almost like forces of nature when they come in. And what Peter, or what Paul is saying here is, listen, their teaching was amiss. Their teaching was wrong. And he would not sit silently by. That's why, again, he says in, in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 12 through 15, And what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine their claim, the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission that they work on the same terms as we do. Paul was saying, look, I'm here in one sense. I'm sacrificing myself for the, for, for, uh, for the purpose of the gospel. But these men are coming in and they are demanding of you. And Paul says, I will oppose that. And we can't help but thinking, can we not, of preachers in our day today whose, whose, whose great appeal is to send them money. There's something absolutely wrong with this. 
<clears throat> and who in your sending them money say that you will get a blessing from it. They're trading on the name of Christ. And what does Paul say? Paul says, this is wrong. I will oppose them. He goes on to say this, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Then he goes on to, to say again what we should all know. And no wonder, for even Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as the servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Oh, you see, again, the Bible can't talk about uh, false teachers without talking about their end. Here in verse 1 of 2 Peter, we'll get to that. Peter talks about this swift destruction. This destruction that once it comes, it's coming quick. This destruction that when it falls, there's no escape from it. And so again, their present practice, their method is again to, to come in on, on the sly, so to speak, to come in on the wear. And their goal is to have individuals following them for their own gain. It's very interesting is that we see this uh, not only on the pages of Scripture, but you can see this throughout church history as well. That the church has always had to deal with the reality of false teachers. And what that tells us is this. We cannot go back into a certain time in the history of the church and to think that there was a time when the church was in something of a pristine state. You have to understand that the church always had to deal with error and heresy. And the, and the correction to the error and heresy was always the word of God given to us. It's the Spirit of God that we depend on. And we thank God that the Spirit of God is able to lead us into the truth of Scripture. And so what do we do? We come back to the Word of God again. We hear what a man preaches and we evaluate it by the Word of God. Why? Because we can't even look to an institution. Because institutions have failed. And so we see that the Word of God becomes for us that... This is why Peter says in chapter 1, You do well to take heed unto a light that shines in a dark place. And that light is the Word of God itself. And so this history uh, throughout the, uh, uh, this, this reality throughout the, the history of the church. Did you notice again, like I said, where, where, Paul said, where Peter says here that these men were, were crept in unawares. The, the idea here, or they crept in privily, the idea is, is that they come in, as I said before, with the right thing on their lips, but the wrong thing in their heart. They come in with right doctrine on the outside, but wrong motives on the inside. And that whole attempt, again, undermines the cause of Jesus Christ. And so, again, they bring in these destructive heresies uh, in a very stealthy way. Now, the next question we ask ourselves is, what are, what are these heresies that, that, the, that Peter is talking about? They shall bring in these destructive heresies. What are these heresies? Heresy is kind of an interesting word. Because in our day, I think we all understand it to be something that we must absolutely avoid at all costs. Heresy, especially heresy that is damnable or destructive. But what's interesting is that the word heresy in its development and in its early use didn't necessarily have an evil connotation to it. That the word heresy simply meant a choice. And then a choice that was made among a group. And then what began to happen with that word, it was a choice made among a group that held to deviant doctrines. And so that's how we get the bad sense of the word heresy. And when Peter talks about these damnable or destructive heresies, he's talking about a specific and willful choice that is made contrary to the teaching of Scripture. That's why we have to come back once again to the priority of the word of God. <clears throat> and so again, the word heresy is interesting in that regard. But what Peter is talking about here isn't some uh, choice that is made. 
It isn't just a mere uh, choice that we might make uh, uh, different from one another. You know, there's the uh, there's a saying that's uh, uh, that we hear oftentimes in the church, and I'm, I want to address it uh, not so much in its fullness right now. But the uh, the, the saying is, you know, uh, unity and and things essential, um, uh, and, and charity and things uh, that are non-essential. We'll pick this up again here in, in a minute. But the idea is this: look. You know, we might not agree on every point of doctrine, even as one congregation. We may see things in a little different manner, and that's not necessarily heretical. But there are points of doctrine that do move over in the heresy that if you are wrong on those points, you are wrong in a fatal fashion. And that's something that we all must be aware of. And again, we'll touch on that here in a minute. But Peter, what does he say here? He refers to these uh, the, to these uh, destructive heresies, to these heresies of damnation. And why does he call them that? Well, he calls them that because the heresies or the, the heresies that these false teachers were embracing were heresies that strike at the root of Christianity. When Peter says they deny the Lord that bought them, you have to understand that at that point, they are touching on the essential feature of the Christian faith. The Christian faith revolves around Jesus Christ. And to have any error concerning the person of Christ is to have a fatal error. Do you remember what Paul said there in that passage in 2 Corinthians? He said if somebody comes to you and preaches another Christ, which we have not preached, another Christ. There are other Christs out there. And just because somebody says they believe in Jesus doesn't mean that they are embracing the Christ in Scripture. The Puritans used to have a phrase that went something like this, that we are to believe on Christ as he is offered in the gospel. It's not just a Christ of our own imagination. It's not just a Jesus of our own imagination. And again, we, we understand, if I can say it this way, the, the concept of Jesus. He's an easy person to like, isn't he? But what about when he calls you to, to true discipleship? What about when he lays upon your shoulder the cross and he says, take up your cross daily and follow me? Oh, then sometimes there, there's, there's this concern. What about when he makes, uh, when he, what about when he calls us to a true call to holiness in, a, in an ungodly age? You see, this is the Christ of Scripture. It's this Christ of Scripture who says to his followers, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? You call me Lord, but you, you, give, you, you, you do not the things that I say. Where is my lordship there? And so again, these, these heresies are not mere opinions that these men are, entertain, are, are entertaining. They are, again, they are fatal errors concerning the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this denial of the Lord that bought them. Now again, when we talk about the difference between heresy and its fatal element and differing views that we may embrace in the church of Jesus Christ, we, we have to be aware that this is a reality. Uh, again, some of us may hold to a doctrinal uh, position that is still within the overall uh, framework of Orthodox Christian faith, and some of us may have something of a differing view. And that may not necessarily strike at the essence or at the essentials of the Christian faith. But I want you to see essentially this, that there are those things that do. And this gets us to the saying that, uh, that I was referring to earlier. Uh, this saying, it's, again, it's an old saying that we hear often, oftentimes, and it goes like this. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. It's a good saying. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. But I have to give a little warning there. 
Because when we hear in all things charity, that doesn't mean that we engage in a way that allows for error to go on in the church. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in, first, in Titus chapter 3, verse 10. A man that is a heretic after the first and second admonition reject. So yes, we engage one another in the most charitable way that we can. But that doesn't mean that we turn a blind eye to that which is contrary to the teaching of Scripture. And so again, why am I saying these things? Because false teachers abound. Why am I saying these things? Because the heresies that are being spoken of here are not only destructive to the church, they are damnable to the soul. There are heresies that will damn the soul. Let a man come to a wrong conclusion or deny what the scriptures teach about Jesus Christ. And there is, again, no salvation for that individual. It's a very serious matter that we're talking about here. And so again, to be aware of these things, to embrace these things, to know that there are, that there are, that there are views that we can have that differ from one another, but there are very serious heresies that we must not be guilty of. So this is their method. This is their purpose. They, again, bring in these damnable or destructive heresies. Now, what's the nature of the heresy? What does it center in? Well, it's like I said before. It centers in a failure to understand or to embrace or to affirm what the Scriptures teach about Jesus Christ. Did you notice what Peter said? They bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them. This is almost, as I said before, it's almost unfathomable. How can somebody deny Jesus Christ and make any kind of a claim in a Christian church? Well, the point you have to understand is this. They don't do that as they're coming in. As they come in, they say all the right words. But their meaning is something different than what you might have. I don't know if you've ever had this experience. You're talking to somebody who, again, isn't just something, somebody of a, of a, of a, of a differing uh, perspective within the bounds of Orthodox Christianity. I'm not talking the difference between a Baptist and a Methodist or something like that. But I'm talking about the difference between somebody who embraces a true view of Christ and a false view of Christ. And very often they will use language that sounds right. But in the meaning of their words, there's something very different than what you understand the Scriptures to teach. And again, these are those destructive Heresies. Now, again, you have to understand that the, the significance of this is, is, is great. Because in this denial of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, in denying the Lord that bought them, what you need to understand is that denial can take place in one of two ways. It can take place actually in both ways, but at least in one of two ways. And it's essentially this. In denying the Lord that bought them, what indeed could be spoken of here is a denial of the truth that's revealed concerning Jesus Christ. This was a problem in the early church. So in other words, when the scriptures affirm the divine nature of Jesus Christ, there were those in that day and in our own day that would deny that Jesus Christ is truly God. This is fatal. That's why John says in, in John chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 and 19, he says this, Little children, it is the last time. And as, ye, and as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, and even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know it is the last time. Now this goes on in verse 19 to say this, a passage we might be more familiar with. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have no doubt continued with us, but they went out, they went out from us that they might be made manifest that they were not of us. What's, Pete, what's, uh, what's John saying here? John is saying essentially this. 
that in the early church there were those who had what we would call a defective Christology. They did not embrace Jesus Christ as he is revealed in the word of God. You look at the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in scripture and there is a reason why all honor and glory is given to him. There is a reason why at his name every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. And that is because in his essence he is the second person of the triune God. He is truly God. And I've said it like this. You've heard me say this before. When God saved you, he didn't just merely raise up a good man. Oh, thank God when he raises up good men. He sent down his own divine son from heaven to save you. And that's the teaching. That's the testimony of the word of God. And so some of the damnable heresies, some of the destructive heresies would be a denial of this true uh, of this truth concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And so our doctrine must be right. You see, as I said before, and we don't think about it so much in this day. Yes, no matter how nice a person may be, wrong doctrine can be fatal. You can you, you can you can you can find your soul in hell sincerely believing wrong things. That's why you must take up the word of God for yourself. You must evaluate over and over again. Are the words that you're hearing, are they the true words of Christ? And so again, the the demand, the the call to this uh, giving ourselves over to the biblical teaching of the person of Christ. And we live in a day where where Christian scholarship has gone so far away from from, from what the scriptures teach, or much of Christian scholarship anyway, not all of it. There, there are those under the name of, of Christian that would tell us things that are just completely contrary to the word of God. They will deny uh, that Jesus Christ is truly the son of God. And they, will, and they will do it in the most scholarly fashion. They will challenge your fundamental beliefs concerning uh, the reality of the deity of Jesus Christ. And so Peter may indeed be talking about, a, 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 if we can put it this way, a structural failure in their understanding of the biblical teaching of Christ. But there's another way in which men deny Jesus Christ, isn't there? And that's not so much by way of a a doctrinal failure, it's by way of a moral failure. And not even a moral failure, but by way of a moral purpose going contrary to what Christ calls us to. This is why, again, I come back to the scripture. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? Luke 6.46 Christ makes demands on the soul. When the individual comes to faith in Jesus Christ, he comes to faith in Jesus Christ again as he is presented in the gospel. How is he presented in the gospel? If thou shalt believe in thy heart the Lord Jesus Christ and confess with thy mouth uh, and believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Christ is presented to you as a savior in scripture as Lord. And to deny that lordship over life shows a a, a, a fundamental and potentially a fatal flaw. And so again, these men, and this is, I think, really what Peter is getting at in this section of Scripture. I think in, in, in 1 John, the issue may have been doctrinal as much as moral, because in 1 John there are moral issues that are brought up. But did you notice the tone of 2 Peter chapter 2? Isn't it moral over and over again? Look again. Look again here in, uh, in, 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 verse, uh, in, in, in verses uh, 2 and following. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, and by reason of whom the truth shall be evil spoken of. How is the truth evil spoken of? Oh, you look, you see, there are those people who call themselves Christians. And look at the things they do. And they live in such a way, in such a fashion. And, and is that any, any kind of a way for, for any kind of a person to live? You see, these men bring upon the church a reproach. 
And why do they bring upon the church a reproach? It's because of the lives they are living. And so I think really, if, if you would have to ask me, where is Peter's point of emphasis here? I don't think it's so much on the doctrinal denial of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think, I think they'll have that on their lips all day long so that they can come in undercover. But when it's all said and done, when they come in undercover, what are they trying to do? They're just trying to gratify their own sinful tendencies. And they're doing it at the expense of the church of Jesus Christ. And that's how they are denying the Lordship of Christ. They come into the church to preach themselves. They come into the church to gratify their own belly. They come into the church in order that when it's all said and done, they just have a better life form here and now. But woe to them in the future. You see, this is the other thing that we get to. The apostle can't get away. Whenever we speak, whenever we see false teachers mentioned, we can't get away from the fact that their end is coming upon them and that end is destruction. And again, the reason why I make this point as to their as to the denial has to do more with their with their moral behavior than their doctrinal understanding. Listen to passages of scripture that we have to describe false teachers. First Timothy six verse five, Paul says this: These men they engage in perverse or twisted disputings. Men of corrupt minds they are. They are destitute of the truth, and they suppose that gain is godliness. They suppose that when they get more material goods, that that's a mark of their godliness. And we hear it, we, we hear it in our day, don't we? I've heard men say, I've already, I've already got my first billion dollars. Preacher saying these type of things. And again, what does Paul say? From such turn away. Second, uh, Second Timothy verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 4. These men are traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And oh, by the way, if they can use religion to get their pleasure, they'll do it all. They'll be very glad to do it. Titus chapter 1, verse 11. Whose mouths must be stopped. You see these false teachers. Again, Paul says, hear them not. Their mouths must be stopped. Whose mouths must be stopped. Titus 1, 11. Who, subs- who subvert whole houses, teaching things that they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. Just another word for money. They're in it for the money. They'll preach you the best sermon you'll ever hear. They'll make you feel as happy about yourself as you ever felt. Just make sure at the end of the day that the coin is clinging in the, in the coffer. And so again, the, 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 the warning that we are given here. And as I said before, this is, why, this is why I think that really that Peter's emphasis is on the moral failure of these men, on the moral character of these men. And it brings to us again this whole, this whole uh, almost unfathomable way of thinking. How can these men find a way in the church? Honestly, the picture is so clear. It's hard to believe that that can actually happen. This is why I said before, these men are very subtle. They are very slick in their presentation. They will present things in such a way that maybe only after the fact that you will say, yeah, you know what? When he said that, I really didn't understand. Well, now I see. Now I see where he was going with that. And that's why the Lordship of Jesus Christ is so important. Not only in its doctrinal details, but also in its personal details as well. And my brothers and sisters, at this point, I want to confront you with the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I'm looking at, to my understanding, every, every person here has made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. What does the Lordship of Jesus Christ mean to you today? Do you embrace Him, not only as Savior, but truly as Lord? Again, that saying... Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? 
You see, the whole idea of the Lordship of Jesus Christ is so essential. You know that there's a sense in which a man cannot truly confess Christ as Lord apart from the work of the Spirit. Your embrace of Jesus Christ as Lord is not just a good decision that you made. Your embrace of Jesus Christ by Lord is a work of the Spirit of God within you. Why do I say that? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. No man can call Jesus Lord except by the Spirit. So when you see in Jesus Christ the call to discipleship, when you see in Jesus Christ the call to pick up the cross, when you see in Jesus Christ the call to come and follow me, there is something of an appeal there. Yes, you're looking back maybe on things that would, would, uh, would, would bring you great gain in this world, but you understand away with these things. Why? Because my Lord calls me. My, my, the, 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 my, my Savior calls me. The one who has given himself for me is calling me. And so I ask you, how is it with you today concerning the Lordship of Jesus Christ? I hope and I pray that by the grace of God, should we, should I hear any deviant doctrine concerning the, uh, the person of Jesus Christ, we will be able to correct it. But you know it's in your heart. You see, in one sense, the failure of lordship in, in our behavior is a heart issue more than a head issue, isn't it? We, can, we see and we, understand, we don't understand, but we see and we come across people who say, well, I just can't understand how Jesus can be fully God and fully man. It's what the scriptures reveal. And the issue is, are you submitting yourself to his lordship? And what this reminds us of is this, is that Jesus Christ is always, in a sense, the dividing line of humanity. There are those who submit to his lordship and those who do not. There are those who do not submit to his lordship who are outside of the church of Jesus Christ and make no claim to be in the church of Jesus Christ. But there are even those who are in the church of Jesus Christ who are still outside of Christ. Christ is the dividing line. You see, what did Simeon say to Mary on the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ? And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Christ is the, is the dividing line. You see, we divide our, 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 our chronology by way of the, uh, the birth of Christ, don't we? A.D. and B.C. There's more than chronology being divided by Christ. Eternal destinies are being divided by Christ. And you see, your soul rises or it falls in the way that you respond to this loving Savior. That's why, again, when, when Peter talks about these, these destructive heresies, again, they are, they are destructive. Not only are they they're even worse in one sense than destructive to the soul, they're damnable to the soul, but they're destructive to the church as well. And so, again, the, the, the great emphasis on the warning against these false teachers. What's really interesting is this, is that Peter talks about these false teachers. He talks about their denial. But did you notice the context in which he sets the denial? Look again at that first verse. Again, these, these men who secretly keep, uh, creep in, bringing these destructive heresies, what do they do? They deny the Lord that bought them. I look in the congregation. You know what I see? If you allow me... When I preach to you, I preach consciously with this thought. I look at people that Jesus Christ bled for. You see, Christ, Christ bled for you. I look at Christ's sheep. One day I'll have to give an account to what I feed to Christ's sheep. And I'm going to come in here and feed Christ's sheep garbage? I don't think so. I don't want to. The word of God must be preached. Christ bled for you. You're his. And here's the Apostle Peter. What does he say? These men deny the Lord that bought them. Christ paid for you. 
And in some strange, inexplicable way, Christ paid for the sins even of these false teachers. It's an amazing reality. And tonight, when we look at the doctrine of the atonement, we're going to develop this idea. How is it that in the scripture we see that there is a specific price paid by Christ for specific people? And yet at the same time, there is a, there is a, there is a largeness and a wideness in the death of Christ that Peter can say this, that even though these men deny Christ, there was a price paid for them. And you know what? These men know it. It's very interesting here when, when Peter says the, who denies the Lord that bought them. The word Lord there is the word that we that translates in the English as the word despot. And it speaks about the fact of true ownership. In one sense, if I can put it this way, although the word Lord doesn't just, just, doesn't just merely mean a voluntary subjection, there is a sense in which when we embrace Christ as Lord, there is an element of a voluntary subjection to his lordship. Now again, it's demanded by way of who and what he is. But whenever we have this word, not curios, but when we have the word despot, it speaks about his ownership. And there is a sense in which in the death of Jesus Christ, something wide and extensive has happened. There is a sense in which all men belong to Christ. And by way of their belonging to Christ, not in a saving way necessarily, but by way of accountability and responsibility, you see, Jesus says to the world that the word that I speak unto you, it is that which will judge you. He is the judge of the quick and the dead. All men must give an account to Jesus Christ. And so again, these false teachers, they deny the Lord that bought them. Oh, I want you to see and understand again that Jesus Christ again paid a dear price for your soul. Somehow, some way that the, that the, that the, that the death, somehow, some way the death of Jesus Christ is even applied to these false teachers. And again, as I said, please, uh, come out tonight. We're going, to, we're going to discuss the doctrine of the atonement. Uh, we're going to look at it tonight uh, primarily from a biblical point of view before we get into any of the theological development. There, are, there is the biblical basis for it even before we get into the, some of these questions, which are sometimes very difficult to deal with. But the, but, the, but the idea of the blood of Christ being shed for sinners is beautiful. It is, it is biblically rich in the sense that it fills the pages of Scripture. The reality that in the atoning death of Jesus Christ, his blood covers my sin. So that the God who is too holy to look upon sin can now look upon this poor sinner because the blood of Christ covers my sin. It's beautiful. We thank God for it. And this is again, this is what these men are denying. Oh, woe to these men. You see, you need to pray for me, you need to pray for men in the pulpit. Again, I was speaking with, with, with Lucy earlier. The, the idea, I know of a number of churches right now. The, the, the pulpits are empty, are going to be empty shortly. We need to pray as a church that God would raise up good and godly men to fill these pulpits. That God would, would send preachers that are filled with His Spirit to fill these pulpits. That He would send men that are fearless in the proclamation of the Word of God to fill these pulpits. And so again, may God bless this area with men of this caliber and keep us from the men that we read of here today on these pages of Scripture. These men, these ungodly men, these men who, bring in, who introduce these damnable heresies, these men who bring upon themselves swift destruction. Did you see what Peter says? As I said before, you really can't deal in the Scripture with false teachers without hearing something about their end. 
And this brings us to the last point of verse 1, their final perdition. We've seen the historical precedent. We've seen their present practices. And now we're looking at their final perdition. And what is their final perdition? Well, their final perdition is the judgment of God upon them. Oh, you see, God will judge those who destroy His church. And we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, verses 16 and 17. And I don't know that we always read this passage of Scripture in the context of the church at large. I think... Excuse me, I think a lot of times we read this passage of Scripture in the context of our individual bodies. And you'll know what I'm talking about here shortly. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Paul says this, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Now normally when we read that passage of Scripture, what do we think? We think that we say this, Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Fair enough. But that's really not what Paul is saying in this passage of Scripture. When Paul says that ye... The King James, that's one of the ways that you know that it's a plural you and not a, not a singular you. That ye are the temple of the Spirit of God. The church is the temple of the living God. Notice what Paul goes on to say in verse 17. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. And what Paul is saying is this. If a man, a false teacher, comes in and brings in destructive heresies and brings in these damnable heresies, God will judge him. No escape for these men. Gain what they will in this life. Accrue what they may in this life. There is coming the judgment of God upon them. Why? Because God has a particular love for those who were purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. And so again, the final perdition of these men, they shall bring upon themselves swift destruction. Well, again, what, what do we mean by swift destruction here? Does it mean as soon as they utter an error that they're going to be destroyed? It really doesn't. You see, there is a sense in which God, God, God allows for, 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 for error and heresies to be in the church. Why? Because it is the way in which he evaluates the, the sincerity of our hearts. You see, again, if we are just in this thing for secondary reasons, heresies will flush this all out. And so, again, the idea here is this, that these men, when the destruction comes upon them, there will be no escape. They will not be able to say, oh, here it comes. I better line it up. They will not be able to say that because when destruction comes, it will come swiftly. And what will be their end? The end will be, again, their eternal ruin. And so what we see here, again, is the, is the fact that these men, in their condemnation, they will, excuse me, in, in, in their, in their uh, heresy, uh, they will not escape the condemnation of, of God. It reminds us of the passage of Scripture that our Lord Jesus Christ spoke when He says in, in Luke chapter 17, verse 2, It were better for them that a millstone were hanged about their neck and cast into the sea, that he should offend one of these little ones. It's the same idea of what we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You see, there is an offense to those who belong to Christ. There is an offense to the church of Christ. And it were better for that man that a millstone were tied around his neck. We see again the same woe pronounced on false teachers in Matthew 23, verse 15. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. What's happening here? I'm saying to you, heresy is not only destructive to the church, it damns the soul. And should you or I be swept up in heresy, woe to us. 
pray, brothers and sisters, for the work of the Spirit to go on, to keep us on the right path, to keep us true to Jesus Christ. I say these words in all sincerity, with all emphasis. You see, we cannot think that just because we are in a Baptist church that this will never happen to us. God, give us grace. And so again, the emphasis is here. The swift destruction is there. So we come to the end of this passage of Scripture, verse 1. I know that I've been very somewhat methodical working through it, maybe too slow, but again, I've, I've made these points for reason. I want you to see the emphasis that the Scripture brings here. But one last thing I want to bring to your attention is this. Isn't it hard to fathom how a man could be so close to heaven and yet end up in the pit of hell? Isn't it an amazing thing that a man can be so conversant with the things of Christ as to be able to, is to, is to, be able to deceive the people of God and yet when it's all said and done, deceiving himself? Do you see how this swift destruction comes about? They shall bring upon themselves... Some of these men go into hell with wise wide open. Some of these men know that they are again uh, deceiving the people of God. Some of these people know again that they are again doing nothing more than fleecing the flock of Christ and they are walking in the hell with eyes wide open. Oh, what a sad, sad reality that is. But the question concerns us, doesn't it? You see, we don't want to be caught up in this stuff. We don't want to be moved astray. We don't want to be the ones who are deceived. We don't want to be the ones who are not living under a true embrace of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so in these closing moments, I present to you Christ once again. I present to you Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. I present to him the one who loves you and the one who calls you the faithful obedience to him. I call you to the one who, again, who's given himself for you, who bled for you, and who one day through his grace and mercy he will allow you to reign with him. My friends, that's our Christ. That's our Lord. That's our Savior. Oh, embrace him, you see. Embrace him. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for the warnings that you have given to us in your word concerning false teachers. Oh, Father, give us grace, we pray, to stay on the true path that you have given to us in your word. Help us, we pray, Father, not to go astray by the, by the errors of wicked men. Help us, we pray, Father, to stay true to your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, that you have given to us your word as a light that shines in a dark place. And now help us, we pray, Father, to stay true to that light and to stay true to Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.